You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your host, PJ team leader, jujitsu lover, meme enthusiast, and dad joke aficionado, Aaron Love. What's up, everybody? This early morning podcast recording brought to you by One's Ready. Welcome back to the team room. We got a special one for you this week. We're literally going to just pack this episode full of as many questions that you ask us on the daily as we possibly can. Is it because we want you to get the right answer? Yes. Is it also because we want you to stop asking these questions because we have already answered them multiple times? Yes. Maybe also, yes, but <laughs> that's a definite yes from Trent. So welcome to the team room, everybody. We just want to say thanks again. It's Trent and I obviously here. Peaches is on the road. Brian is doing his PA thing. We just want to say thanks from our team to everybody out there that supports. We appreciate you for liking, following the podcast. Keep uh, keep leaving your comments. Keep fighting in the comments or making friends in the comments. We don't care as long as you guys are having a good time. If you get, in the, if you get on the internet to fight in the comments, hey, more power to you. Have a good one. Uh, check out the shop. We got all kinds of sweet merch. I'm wearing my sweet regret is hell team. My favorite part is it says just regret is hell right here on the sleeve. That's fire. That's fire, we gotta fire. get one of those, uh, the Colonel black. I know we really do. We have to get one of her. Um, you, you know what the funny thing about our merch is, is that, uh, my favorite merch tea is not like my own branded stuff. It's Trent stuff. If that says anything about our level of bromance, uh, there you go. If you guys think we fight over hair, no, we just share like, hair care topics and talk to one another. So um, go to the Instagram, hit the like, uh, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button over on YouTube, help us out, leave us a review on anything that you listen on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast. It really does help us out. So we appreciate it. All that out of the way, Trent, you and I have been waiting a long time for this one. I'm going to put a disclaimer out there. Usually we, uh, we entertain and usually we're pretty inviting into the team room, right? And we we take more of a coach and a mentor sort of stance, right? I got to be honest, this, this episode is probably not going to be this. We're going to get you the, the right information, but we need to have some real talk with y'all because y'all are asking us the same question and we got we to gotta nip this in the bud, as it were. It's time for a little bit of angry gramps, you know? <laughs> Some angry grants. So basically what we're going to do and, and go to the YouTube. So when you hear this, go to the YouTube and check it out. What we're going to do is we're going to put chapter markers. And if we can figure out how to do it on podcast, we'll do the same thing. We're going to put chapter markers with every single one of these questions. And we are going to have explicit answers to each one of your questions. And then we'll probably have some angry motivation for you at the end of that too. So go check out the YouTube, check out the chapter markers. And if you have any of these questions, just go scroll through the YouTube comments and go, Hey, wait a second. This guy answered my question. So with no further ado, Trent, when you're in the when you're in the app spec war enterprise, let's say you get all the way through the pipeline and you get to your first unit, what's the day to day like, Trent? Well, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I wake up, I get my uh, iced or hot coffee, depending on the time of year, and I have a very set schedule. And I'm it. No one knows. You know, you work out when you can, uh, when you're actually there. But there's a myriad of TDYs and training and professional military education things that you have to knock out. So there's about 800 million things that you got to do uh, every day, and uh, you do your best to get them all done. Yeah, yeah. And this this is such a hard question to answer, guys. And this this one frustrates us because you want some sort of like checklist. Listen, do we have 
a, a training cycle where you have a deliberate training period where you're actually training on certain things. Absolutely. We train individual skills and then we train our joint collective skills. And then we work all the way up to really big muscle movements, getting ready for whatever tasking we have on a 20 month cycle. Like I'll tell you straight up, that's what you do. How that actually looks day to day. I have no clue. I, I was in the office the other day. I got in there at seven. I had admin work that I needed to do. So I work, I did that until about nine. I worked out in our own gym from like 9.30 until 11 or something. And then I got done and one of the teams asked me to come and give my input on how they were going about mission planning for their upcoming, one of their upcoming full mission profiles. Well, those guys didn't even, the team leaders were there at about noon, but their guys didn't even show up until 1400 and they were working until like well after dark, right? That that's about as normal of a day as you're going to get, unless you're working some staff position, unless you're at some weird job where you have bank hours, we have no clue. We have no way to tell you, you know, and that's why we're always so vague, uh, not vague, but, you know, we just say, Hey, when you get to your unit, you're going to train for your next deployment and stuff pops up. Somebody's going to come into your office or un- into your workspace one day and go, Hey, do you realize that you have to go to this? professional military education school, um, you're going next week. And then all of a sudden the next six, you know, six weeks of your time is spoken for and you didn't know going in that day. Yeah. But what if I don't want to go? But what if I don't want to go? There's never a good time for PME. There's never a good time to come off team. There's never a good time to do anything you don't want. We get it, but you have to do those things. You're not going to get out of it. Everybody has to go to PME. You don't want to go to PME. Okay. Then get out of the career field because the air force won't let you stay in. So Jeez, I don't, bro. yeah, I know like going hard. I, I well, am going hard. Let's go. <laughs> the, there's, there's so many entities that get a vote on what you do every day. There's right. your squadron. There's the air force. There's the the geopolitical landscape of the world, you know, like, right. There's a exactly. lot of people that get a vote in, in what you do. And, you know, weekends and nights are not necessarily uh, off limits. They're definitely not off limits. So, right. Exactly. We, tra- we probably should have ordered this better, but you and I are just a dog chasing cars because we could do it in like chronological order. So I'll, I'll just start that now. Let's let's start that now. How do I get a hold of a recruiter? I've been calling and calling and calling and no one is calling me back. Okay. So when we get this question and it's on Instagram, I like short circuit a little bit because I don't know how many uh, special warfare recruiters you see on Instagram, but I, I see a ton of them. Right. I don't know. Look at our page. Look at the people that we yeah. follow. I don't know. 40 special operations recruiters. Maybe, so many. You know? I mean, I mean, you guys with huge guys and gals with huge programs. I can think of 10 special operations recruiters right now. And that's not to include like their Instagram pages for the recruiting squadrons. That's not to include www.airforce.com. If you go there, you can no kidding, put in your zip code. And then you can find a recruiter. A secondary question to this is, hey, I've been calling this recruiter and I've been emailing them and they just haven't called me back. And then we ask, okay, well, how long has it been? Well, it's been a week. Okay, my dude. So let's, let's, talk about, let's talk about what the recruiter does. The recruiter, while they may be a special operations recruiter, they're still an Air Force recruiter. So they have a massive area, in some cases, multi-state area or a huge geographic portion for all AFSCs in the Air Force, and you emailed them saying, I think I might want to try this thing. What do I need to do? Just put yourself in their shoes for a second. You have a hundred other candidates that are already in the debt program, and you get one email from one person that's like, I've done nothing yet. 
please give me some of your time. What would you do? Well, it sounds like you're going to have to wait for some time. It sounds like you're going to have to be patient and make the most out of your time. Now, if it's gone, you know, weeks without a follow, and we have had people yeah. hit us up on the DM and be like, hey, of course, we got people that we can send you directly to. Of course, we have people that, you know, we can we can hit up and help you out. But you have to fix your own problems first. And that's the whole point of this podcast is we're going to help you fix your own problems first, because that's important for special operations. Yeah. Well, so, we get a lot of questions without any background. Like you said, uh, I've been trying to get a hold of this recruiter and I haven't heard anything. How long, which recruiter, how many recruiters have you reached out to? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and have you Googled it? Have you gone to the website? Have you checked on Instagram and Twitter and all these other places that y'all are reaching out to us on to fix your problem first? And if you haven't done all of those things, you know, my initial reaction is, uh, you know, you can go pound sand and, and try a little bit harder. Right. And the uh, the other one that we see here is uh, the question about guard and reserve. So people often ask us, hey, I, I want to go work for this specific guard and reserve unit. They all have their own recruiters. You can call them. They're usually listed on their website. If you Google, whichever, let's say you're trying to go to the Kentucky STS, you can Google Kentucky STS and you can find your way there. I promise. Because I've done it before. Somebody asked me, hey, how do I get there? I know kidding called the number to see if it was a recruiter that actually worked and then name dropped a bunch of dudes that worked there. And they were like, Oh yeah, this is totally our number. It's our personal cell number. Really yep. wasn't really wasn't hard to find. Pretty simple. What is this Google machine that you speak of? It sounds <laughs> incredibly convenient. Now this is just going to be for life, right? So I always try to answer my own questions first before I just shout a message at somebody. Like before I open my window, I'm like, Hey, does anybody know how to help me? Usually I try to fix my own problems first. And the first place I go, oddly enough, is a search engine. Now, if you don't like the fact that Google logs your search engine and will adjust their algorithm for whatever reason, feel free to use DuckDuckGo. That's a a different search engine that you can use. You can use it through a VPN if you want to protect your online identity and what it is that you're putting out in the world. Perfect. But you should search it first because I guarantee that if the answer, it might be old information, but it gives you a place to start. Should we stop saying Google and just start saying DuckDuckGo? Because Duck, I think Duck, Go. all the hosts of this podcast probably use DuckDuckGo. I was going to say, yeah, conspiracy theorist, Aaron, 100%. I do not use Google. I use DuckDuckGo, uh, quite frankly, hilarious. Um, so after we, after we contact a recruiter, right, the next one that we typically get is, uh, how does the pipeline flow? Trent, there's nobody better for you. Can you just kind of tell, and here we'll cage it a little bit because all they, we, that we really need to talk about for this specific stuff, how does the pipeline flow once you hit basic training? Well, you're going to go to basic training. We're for, just going to go, uh, let's go basic training. And then we'll go, the, yeah. let's say everything at JBSA until they're ready to PCS. Then you're going to go to the prep or the candidate course for seven weeks. And then you're going to go to ANS. And then everything after that, you have spent enough time on JBSA Lackland and in the dorms at that point to know everything about the rest of the pipeline. And there's going to be some, some bad information that you're going to get from some of the people there. Uh, but the, uh, the flow is going to be laid out for you and scheduled and all of those stuff. So ANS and pre-dive and dive. And then after that, it gets a little, uh, you know, between SEER and Airborne and all that stuff. It gets a little weird, but. And, and let's explain why. So. These things are all moving pieces. We have to talk to the Army about going to Airborne. Although we own the Air Force dive program, there's still a waiting list. Other people go to these Air Force dive programs. We had sister service in, in my class. Nice. So it's still, a, yeah, it's still a dive school. 
it's still open to all services. So we have to talk to them. We have to talk to the army about free fall school. We have to talk to a completely separate entity about paramedic school. We have to talk to a completely separate entity about every other school. SEER services the entire Air Force writ large, right? So yeah. basically what the pipeline managers, the people that work at San Antonio have to do is they have to take how many students are sitting at JBSA right now? Is it something like two to 500 or something? It's a fair number. It's, I don't want to put okay. actual numbers out there. Okay, got it. So it's a lot of students and they have to manage, they have to move these pieces around this massive board in order to get you go there. So again, we can't give you a black and white. We can say generally it goes like this, basic special warfare candidate course, ANS, you get selected, pre-dive, you get done. After pre-dive, hopefully you go right to dive school because that's when you're best prepared for those water confidence events. You graduate dive school, you can go to airborne school, and then SEER school, if you're a pararescueman, you're going to go, if you're in the pararescue track, you're going to go through your paramedic, and then you're done at Lackland. And you're going to spend all that time at Lackland. The controllers and the SR guys and the SWOs have a little bit different where they're going to go to their specific schools. And, and Trent, you can talk to those specifically if you want to throw out some of the schools that they'll complete before it is that they PCS, um, especially for the controllers and the SR guys, because you know better than me. But generally, that's what it is what order it happens in really does depend. Sometimes it just depends on school slots. Somebody hurts their ankle and they can't go to airborne this week. You might go to airborne before you go to dive school because it just, it's the most efficient way to do it. The reasoning behind this is we want to cut down on your time in between schools as much as humanly possible. That's always the goal. The one thing that is always really, really highly scrutinized is how much time students are out of training. We want you in training, completing the pipeline as quickly as possible. And Trent, uh, hit the combat control and, and SR students um, if there's if there's courses that they hit before they PCS. Yeah, it's just uh, the, the pre-dive, dive, airborne, sear, and free fall. Um, and then you're going to go to your, your apprentice course, which, uh, you know, air traffic control, all of it's at Pope now. So air traffic control for uh, the combat controllers and all the SR specific stuff. And then we, we get together and do our, our land nav and tactics and a lot of their FTX jazz, which yeah. is a, a lot of fun. Right. Exactly. So you're going to be at joint base San Antonio until then. So prepare accordingly. And that's what your pipeline is going to look like after you get out of ANS. Can Moving I up. Okay. just throw on this too? If I was married, because yes. I get this a lot. Okay. I would plan on, uh, if you really need to bring your spouse, I'd bring my spouse out to uh, JBSA. Uh, if you are pararescue, SR, or CCT, and I really wouldn't plan on moving them again until I move past the apprentice course, uh, just based on the way that those things are going. Okay. That, that, that's what I would do. I wouldn't I wouldn't do a, a, a quick move up to Pope or out of Kirtland if I didn't have to, and I'm not sure those are PCSs right now. Uh, so get comfortable at, at, in San Antonio and then uh, out to Hurlburt for the combat controllers and the SR folks. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's a question we get to is, you know, hey, what what does the family situation look like? Again, this is going to be on you and we're going to hit this later, but we have to make choices about our personal lives and what it is that we want to do as a career. Sacrifice is part of everything that we do. Okay. And we're going to hit it. There's some other things later that we're going to talk about that involve you needing to look at your life. Like you have to sacrifice. You're going to have to spend time away from your spouse. I think we get frustrated answering the family question because we, again, you can't, I can't put the feeling of, you know, at this point, 20 years of missing first days of school, 
of missing huge events, missing deaths in my family that I couldn't go to funerals, missing weddings. My little brother, Kyle got married and he was like, Hey, I want you to be in the wedding. I got deployed. I couldn't even, I couldn't do anything for it. Right. I look back at all of those times and I hear people that are just starting their journey going, well, I, what am I going to do? You know, my wife is my everything. I can't leave her for that long. So like, is there a way for us to get the family down there? Listen, I, I feel for you, but we've all had to make that choice. Like, unfortunately that's part of it. So, um, maybe if I'm supposed to like make this as rosy as I possibly can, well, maybe this is a good first time for you to really, you know, exercise those muscles of, you know, distance and, and having to be away from your spouse and focusing on something that's more important at the time, you know, as a couple, you know, maybe this is your first experience with that. Maybe it's good to start that in the, in the pipeline. Yep. Yeah. Trent right now, he is single dadded up. You know why? Because his wife had to deploy and he had to step up and now he's, he's Mr. Mom. The Air Force was like, yeah. This is more important. And I was like, no, 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 it's but, not you know, more they important. Don't, they don't listen to me. It's weird. It is. It's straight up crazy. Um, so that's, we got that one. Let's go. Uh, how about, will I get out of shape in basic training? I'm, so, I don't, sounds like a personal problem. Sounds like a personal problem. I don't know. Like, are you going to go to special warfare candidate course and then perform and get back into shape like you're supposed to? Because that's what that course is built to do. The seven week curriculum at special warfare candidate course is meant to do exactly that prepare you for assessment selection. So even if you did lose a little bit of gains, maybe you can't see your abs as well. Maybe you don't do 75 push-ups. You do 73 push-ups. After you get out of that basic training, are you going to go and commit yourself to the preparatory course? Because it's meant to get you to succeed. So will I get out of shape in basic training? I don't know. Will you? I have a real hard time with like, especially push-ups and sit-ups. You have a floor. Right in your room and we got pull-up bars over there at the uh, the bmt dorms uh where they live if you don't get enough running or swimming maybe maybe it drops off a little bit Mm -hmm. if you show up and you're like oh i i I lost a lot of my push-ups or my sit-ups especially you didn't have them you didn't have them before you were there it's that that's a garbage excuse absolutely if you've been training if you no kidding have been devoting yourself for this for this goal of being in these career fields to be a special operator for the rest of your life and you lost all of those gains in eight weeks. Come on. What are we talking about? What are we talking about? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, we get this one a lot too. And it's, it's sort of the same thing. We'll tack P go through a and S and have to do the water confidence stuff too. No, no, nope. I, I just don't, I don't know a cleaner way to answer that. No, I don't know. You know as soon as we started talking about tack P swimming for the fitness test, that's where all this stuff sort of started. Yeah. Uh, so, so when you go through the candidate course as a TACP candidate, uh, the, the prep course, everybody does the same thing. That course is AFSC agnostic. Right. So if you show up and you're like, hey, I want to be a TACP, it's like, that's okay. Like, okay guess what? Cool. We're going to the pool today. Right. But we're going to go to, and let, let's talk about the reasoning behind this, right? So for a long time, people would show up. And I, I can tell you this from four in-dot classes. I've been through four. On every single one of those in-doc classes, and those were separated by five years, we had people showed up and had no idea what a combat controller did, had no idea what a PJ did, had no idea what a TACP did, no clue. They just didn't have the information available to them. They thought that it sounded cool. They got there and it was something completely different. They were like, hey, go back and look at some of the podcasts where Peaches talks about this. Peaches showed up wanting to be a PJ because he didn't know what combat controllers did. 
He signed up for a guaranteed PJ contract. And when Peaches got to basic, he was like, whoa, there's this thing called combat control. That is tight. I want to do that. Right. We have fixed that problem. So when you go to ANS, the TACPs are included in everything because again, it's AFSC agnostic, or I'm sorry, not ANS, to the special warfare uh, candidate course, the prep right. course, right? So in preparation, everybody is the same because if you get there, if you're like, I wanted to be a TACP, well, if you get there and you connect with the PJ mission, and then you have a talent for being in the water, that might change your entire life. You, you might get into a, you might get into a um, situation that you didn't even know existed. Yeah. And we see it. People, people get that, that training switch flipped or they connect with an instructor, just like you're saying. So um, it, it's pretty common. So, and, and don't think that you have all the information to make decisions before you even get there. So let the process work itself out and, uh, and we'll fix it when we get there. So while Aaron has stepped away, I think, uh, I'm back. Sorry. I had a technical difficulty. I had an alarm going off, but no big deal. We're just going to keep, we're going to keep rolling straight through it. 5 a.m. where you are. So dude, I know, listen, I can't talk about me being a smart person because I'm not. Um, I assume that you did a great answer on why it is that we put everybody through the same stuff. Um, I just repeated what you said. (laughs) What's the next one? uh, We're going to do like, uh, I was just going to stick with tech P's. Yeah. This is a really interesting question. How are tech P's used in the conventional force? Yeah, if, so we co- yeah, we covered this one with JC Roomba, right? He actually did a, yeah. a great job uh, of so- talking exactly what conventional tech P is and, and how they're used in the conventional force. And the reason that I included this is I want to put it out there again. If you're coming in to be a TAC P, the likelihood of you being a soft TAC P is infinitesimally small. It is extremely small. You have to go through a separate assessment and selection. It's not easy. Then you have to get put on another team, typically in an ST unit at one of the two series units, and you have to perform, right? The only outlier to that is really, you know, the 17th STS, which is a, a soft tack P position that is isn't a two series unit. But I'll be honest with you, like you have to perform at these things. Like you cannot, uh, you cannot be just the average person and uh, just show up and work. So, you are going to work for the army as a TACP, you know, as a tactical air control party airman. You are going to be assigned to a conventional army unit, and you're going to be doing conventional uh, close air support for those units. Can we just? Oh, we also had a, a very angry TACPO. That can that uh, talked about this as well. So uh, go back and and watch a, a TACP officer yell at me on the TACPO podcast. But can we just stop with thinking the word conventional is somehow a negative? That really drives me nuts because yeah, for um, sure. the this whole soft versus conventional thing it's just a different job with different sized teams doing different things. There's nothing wrong with being a you know conventional TACP. They deal with huge numbers of people that are their capabilities to, you know, seek out the enemy and, and drop you know, bombs and, and, and have a huge impact on the battle space is, uh, is, is amazing. So like, I, I just, it bothers me when people want to say conventional with like kind of a little sneer on their face and, uh, you know, make it sound like soft is somehow inherently better. It's different. Right. I it's get different. it. Like, um, yeah. Well, and, and if you look at, you know, it's, it's easy to figure this out, right? Like it's easy to figure out, uh, and, and we're not comparing the two, right? Because they're just kind of different, different tribes of the same family, right? 
But when you look, when people say, when people poo-poo the conventional force, you know, people, people know pretty well, I come from a very big military family. Like we have a big family, number one, I'm the oldest of six, but all four of the boys, like all three of my little brothers are in the army as well. Two of them were our helicopter pilots now. Well, before that, my brother, Brian was just a regular 11 Bravo infantry guy. He spent 36 months in Iraq between 2005 and 2008. That's yeah. just conventional. If you think that anybody in SOF got it on more than my brother who was doing clearing operations day to day in the triangle, you're insane. So when people talk, oh, conventional this and conventional that, you're going to get it on, especially in a large scale war. We don't know where we're going next. But with when I hear strategic competition, near peer competition, that's a big shooting war. Like we hope yeah. it's a soft surgical war and we use cyber to you know, get our, like, I don't want to get into a huge shooting war with, with Russia or China, but if we get into a huge shooting war with Russia or China, who do you think is going to be doing the more work, the conventional side or the soft side? Soft side is going to be doing probably more of the high risk work. Conventional side is going to be getting it on though. That's why the Rangers, the Rangers are in that sweet spot where they are special operations, but really they're the premier direct action light infantry force in the United States army. That's why they have more capture kills than any other organization on the face of the planet. And that's to include every, you know, CAG and dev group and all these other tier one units. How dare you? You're a Ranger lover. That's right. Hey, you're... listen, facts are facts, man. Shout out to disaster. He's when he's right, he's right. That's all I got to say. You know what I mean? Like facts is facts, man. They have more capture kills. Shout out to the bat. They get it on and there's nobody yep. better than them, but that really what they're doing those things aren't, they, are they special operations? Sure, because they're specially trained and equipped and employed. Um, but really, if you look at it, like that's a, that's a pretty, a direct action hit on a compound. Uh, you don't need special operations to do that. You need a really, really highly trained infantry force to do that. And if that highly trained infantry force from the 10th Mountain or the 82nd Airborne or the 101st happens to have a TACP with them to leverage air power, they're going to be inherently better. So I think that's, that's tack P. Yeah. I think we crushed it. Got it. Yeah. Thanks. That's good. It's always good when you rate yourself immediately when, when you're done be like, Oh yeah, we yeah. crushed that one. Here's my favorite one, Trent. Yeah. What does, what does SR really do? Not you've been vague about it. What, what do they really do? Please just tell us. I don't think I've been vague about it. I really don't. <laughs> people, people have this misconception, right? That like, being a JTAC is this, this clear thing and that it's a simple process and that we tell everybody out there exactly how it works. They're like, oh, they just call right. an airstrikes and all sorts of stuff. Here's your playbook. Peaches on here. I'm going to ask him to read the J fire out loud on the internet. <laughs> so that no one ever asks us what a combat controller does. This also, is, this is frustrating too. Yeah. Go. He's not going to be, able, you know, like he's not going to read it for reasons. So after right. he can't read that, go ahead and be like, well, how come you can't tell us what a, what a JTACs do? Right. So like, I tell you what I do, but I can't give you all the TTPs and all this other stuff. Let's try right. this. So let's talk about what SR is not, right? Because sometimes it's helpful. And this is, a, this is a, good, a good tip I got from one of my mentors. So it's important to say what things are, but sometimes it's actually important to say what they're not. Okay. So SR is not getting after some sort of recon mission because people will be like, well, the Marines already have recon. We already have these recon teams. Yeah, we know. We're not doing that mission. SR is not doing a standalone mission of any type, okay? SR works 
for the larger ST enterprise. And I had a long conversation. It was productive on my DMs the other day, but it was long uh, because we had to get through a lot of misconceptions. So the question essentially started off with, well, why does SR work alone or in small teams when people like NSW and SWIC have this high camaraderie and this high brotherhood and they work on teams their whole time? And I literally was like, whoa, hold up, my guy. Who said that, that we right? Yeah, who said that we don't operate like that? Why did why is it that you think that SR is just this Jason Bourne character in a ghillie suit out in the middle of nowhere? Like that's not how we work. SR provides a reconnaissance capability to an already inherently capable Air Force team. So you have to remember special tactics teams are ground maneuver elements that get after Air Force mission sets, right? Just like the SEALs get after Navy mission sets, right? The SEALs are there for maritime interdiction. That's what they're there to do. Um, You know, the Army Green Beret teams are task organized to get after irregular warfare and unconventional warfare in order to gain effects. Typically with a guerrilla force. That's really what they're there to do, guys. Yep. The Air Force has our own mission sets. And what those mission sets are, are agile combat employment. We do soft seed, if you know what soft um, suppression of enemy air defenses are. We do global access. We do personnel recovery. There's a bunch of different core missions that we get after to include all the other soft core missions. Direct action, um, hostage rescue, irregular warfare, the nine tenths of soft, right? We... Right. Go ahead. So, I mean, it's just, as you say that, the, the soft components of every branch exist to support the conventional side of every branch for exactly. the contingencies or when things go wrong or when there's, there's specialized requirements. Mm-hmm. So just because the Marines and the Rangers and all these other folks have recon folks doesn't mean that if the Air Force is like, hey, I have this requirement, I'm just going to task out the Rangers. Right. That's exactly. not necessarily how it works. And you, if you don't have a background in exactly what we're looking for and are not built and created to, to solve those problems, um, you, you may not be as successful as you could be. I'm not saying those guys couldn't do it. I'm just saying. Right. Could they do it? Of course they could because they shoot, move, communicate, and they lead, which w- we all do that, right? Could they assimilate to our teams and provide that capability for us? Yeah. But we saw a need that we were like, wait, we have a need for these capabilities. We have a need for somebody that can do these things. So that's why Sauti was rebranded to SR. Well, Sauti was technically killed and then SR was created. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, I said I said rebranded because I was trying to be nice. But you know, the people that ask this question, it's almost like they're arguing themselves out of, you know, they're like, "Oh my god, SR sounds so cool, but like there's already all these other guys." Okay, well then go work for the army. Then go work yeah. for the then go work for the navy. Go be, go be a human, you know, a, a human t- or a thirty-five Echo or Foxtrot, whatever they are in the army. Go go do that if you want to do that thing. But we have our own need for these capabilities, and that's why we put them on the teams, and we all work as a team. So, you know, outside of that, I I don't know what people are looking at when they when they when they ask what does SR really do. I don't know if we can be any more clear than that. And I'll You're tell a- you. If you think that you know what the RRD guys do and you're not an RRD, like you, you, you get don't out know. of here. You have no idea. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You're literally just guessing at stuff. And then you're, you're looking at SR. And I, I love when the SR like hate flows after that. Cause it almost inevitably does. It's like, well, I mean, what do you guys think you're the, you guys think you're the reconnaissance unit division, whatever they're called now. Oh, uh, you guys think that you guys are force recon. No, no, we don't. 
we don't want to be. We're not doing, we're doing some of those same skills. Are we learning how to stalk? Are we learning how to do near and near and uh, far reconnaissance? Sure. Are we leveraging uh, any sort of technology in order to help us with this? Sure. Are we using drones? Sure. Do we look like we're doing what they do? Yes. Are we the same? No. It's like when, uh, when PJs are assigned to ODAs, you guys think you're 18 deltas now? Is that what no. you think? No, I don't. And I don't want the med bag and I'm not the team medic. That's not what I'm there to do. Wait, but you guys are both medical. Then why do we need but PJs you guys are, and 18 deltas? You guys are both special forces medics. And I, I guess we'll transition into this one off of SR and, you know, are PJs medics or are they technical rescue specialists? Blah, blah, blah. Like, God, I don't care if you want to call us special forces medics. Like, and you know, what's funny too, is I I've completely evolved on this for a long time. I was one of those dudes like, Hey man, I'm not a medic. Right. Cause medic means you know, in the, in the terminology and the history of, of the, the forces, right. You're a medic, you don't carry a gun. This is Hacksaw Ridge and you're running around just treating people and you're not a combatant. That's usually why the PJs are, are like, Hey, no, listen, I'm not, I'm not just a medic. Right. Which is also a shot right. at medics by saying just, um, but it, at this point, whatever it is that you want to call me. Okay. Yeah. Am, am I a SOCOM medic? Yep. I have, I have completed not the long course, but I've completed all of the things I need to be called a SOCOM medic. By definition, PJs that work in AFSOC, as long as you're an ATP qualified medic, congratulations, you're a SOCOM qualified medic. That's me. Okay, great. You want to call me a medic that knows some ropes? Cool. You want to call me a technical rescue specialist, rope nerd, hippie that is uh, somewhat okay at medicine and, you know, ranger medics and other, other people that like medicine is their only specialty. They're like, oh, well, we're better at, you know, field medicine than you. Yeah, you're right. Uh, we're, we're better at veterinary medicine than you. You're right, 18 Delta. You are because I am not, that's not my lane, right? Mass casualties. We hang our hat on mass casualties. We handle mass casualties really, really well. Trauma medicine. We're good at trauma medicine. How good at trauma medicine? I guess we could have a meme war and figure it out. But, you know, the whole PJs or medics or technical rescue. It's another question that we get, you know, quite frequently. Who's better, a ranger medic or a PJ? Well, a ranger medic's better at being a ranger. And they're also better probably at being a medic because that's the only thing that they do. You know, ask your, uh, ask every rank and file ranger at the, at second bat right down the road here, how good they are at free fall. I'm better at free fall than I'll say a hundred percent of them, unless <laughs> there's like some RRU guys that can outfly me. But I'll just go ahead and put the, I'll say 99% to be fair. But those are two different things that we're comparing. I'm better at free fall because they haven't been to free fall school. So well, what are we talking uh, about? It's different stuff. Let me just put this out there for uh, there. There's an individual component to, to this as well. And for all the true professionals in all of these career fields, if I put a, a ranger medic, an 18 Delta and a pararescue man in a room and say they were like all E7s or E8s. Mm -hmm. Do you think that they're just going to beat their chests and say, like if they're in a scenario, right? Like a, a mission scenario, they're probably going to pick each other's brains yeah, to learn more because that's the name of the game to see if this other guy has any, uh, has, has any more experiences or any, you know, tips or, or tricks that they like to use uh, to yep. put that in their toolbox. Yep. No one, no one gives a, no one cares. You almost did it. You almost had to put a, a, a dollar in the swear jar, Trent. Yeah. I'm trying to, <laughs> I'll, I'm say trying to it, be no, I'll say it. Nobody gives yeah. a shit. Like yeah. that's not, it's not a thing. Like I think people see, 
and, and again, like no, no shot to anybody doing anything, get, get down how you get down, but people will see interactions in the comment section or people will see interactions on certain pages and they'll be like, oh, these guys are all just trying to beat each other all the time. And they're constantly talking shit. I mean, yeah, we are constantly talking smack with one another, but it's, yeah. it's more self-deprecating than anything else. It's like, Hey, I may be a terrible PJ, but at least I'm not a seal. You know, like that's a joke. That's a joke that we say to each other because we've earned it. And when people outside of the tribe see those things, they assume that there's this animosity or there's this competition. I got zero and ranger medics are some of the most accomplished and experienced medics in the world. I'll tell you what, if I got hurt and there was a ranger medic from anywhere that came up and started working on me, I'd be like, okay, cool. Because they have a great reputation. But also if a PJ came up to me and started working on me, I'd be like, okay, thank God. Cool. I wouldn't be like, well, I wish it was a ranger medic. Cause I've heard they're so good. That's ridiculous. But that's could, what every, that's what everybody does. Could you just go uh, look back in the helicopter, see if you can find an 18 Delta for me? Yeah. Excuse you know, me. Like, uh, this is more of a, like a, uh, this is more like a sit call sort of thing. So can you just go get uh, like, get out of here guys. Get out of here. If your combat control teammate ran up to you and started putting a tourniquet on you, I would want that guy heads too. up. They right. know also what they're doing in that situation. And yeah, uh, and not to like the extent, right? But right. Well, that was kind of a, an interesting question too. And, and I'll, I'll phrase this question like this. Well, if you're on a mission, like let's say I'm an SR guy and I'm on a mission that doesn't need any SR. What exactly am I going to do? Are you just going to leave me home? No, you're an operator. You're part of the team. You yeah. live and work and breathe and train with your STT, with your special tactics team, day in, day out, 24-7. Shooting schools, medicine, ropes. It's like I, I always tell this story, but in our pre-deployment last year, when we were getting ready um, to go, actually it was in the summer of 2020. So in the summer of 2020, we went on a high angle trip and we had some full mission profiles at the end of it. We were doing an upgrade for the only staff sergeant pararescue man. He was going through one of his upgrades and he was being evaluated on overall team lead. We had a high angle scenario where there was a patient at the bottom. The medic that we sent down, the medic was a TACP guy. The people that built the system were controllers and the people that were hauling the system up were special reconnaissance and controllers. There was not one PJ attached to that system. The, ta- the TACP guy, there was a the, the one PJ that we had that was the team leader. He was the only PJ and it was a mixed team a mixed STT and there were no other PJs. I was evaluating and being a safety check for the system and that was it. And we looked around and you know my my friend Jared and I, I think I've dropped his name a million times now, but Jared and I just laughed. We're like, "Hey, this is what a team is supposed to be able to do. So, let's let's have them go do it." So, you know, when, if they go ahead. You know, when firefights break out and you're with an, an ODA, only the Bravos shoot back. The rest of right. us just sit there. Right. And, and hang out like, ooh, I'm not a weapon sergeant. Yeah. All the Charlies are like, you, can, you need to blow anything up or build anything? No. Then, yeah, I'm just going to chill. And I just feel if people would think about it for just a second, you know, like, okay, so here's the deal, guys. We're going to, let's say that there was some super secret SR mission that was going to go on and we only needed SR. It, they were just going to go to a hide site. They were going to do some reconnaissance. They were going to get some information, be it electronic, visual, whatever. And they were going to bring it back. Do you think that you wouldn't bring a JTAC and a PJ with you as part of a team? Like, let's say you were going to get the smallest team possible and you had four. Would you pick four SR guys to do that? Well, I'd probably want a medic if something like went south. And if it went really south, I'd probably want a JTAC too. So, yeah, sorry. No, go. Yeah, go ahead. I know you're excited. No, no, I get all amped up. 
I'll tell you on my last rotation, do you know what we spent most of our time doing pre-deployment or arguing about is if we could get a PJ on our special tactics team, if like right. the, and then we had a JTAC on our team, like, do we send our combat control JTAC? Where do we send them when we're doing split team ops and all this mm-hmm. other stuff to think that you have a capability and you don't want to bring that highly qualified, capable person with you. There are rare instances when maybe not, but if I, if I can, I'm bringing, I'm bringing max capability. I'm bringing the house, to every yeah. situation. Right. Because I want, I want to be able to deal with that problem. I don't know yeah. what kind of contingency is going to pop up. I will tell you the only time that I have ever even considered leaving someone behind. It's been in Afghanistan when it was no kidding. Like we were deciding, like, if we're too heavy, we're going to crash. So you need yep. to get rid of some people or some equipment. And I have made, had to make the decision to be like, okay, you're not coming on this one, but it's only because like you'll kill us in the helicopter because you weigh too much. Yeah. So I think we, uh, I think we covered that one pretty well. I think so. We'll still get comments saying that we just rambled and didn't actually tell them anything. Right. What, what does SR do? They don't do anything guys quit asking. Maybe it's not for you. Um, yeah, there's, I, I actually want to put out, <laughs> I should put out like a, uh, a really bad soundbite of exactly what SR isn't and then put it out on a reel. That'll generate some, <laughs> some, some real talking. Yeah. Um, so we're going to move on. So I got this one the other day, but we get it, we get it actually a lot, right? You guys are always asking about schools. So the question that we got the other day was, Hey, can I go to sniper school as a special warfare officer? And it started my mind to, to sort of thinking, and it applies to a much wider base, right? So we get questions all the time. Hey, can I go to this really cool school? What if I go to language school as a PJ or as an SR guy, can I go to this really cool one-off school? So I'll tell you the the short answer is yes. If you have the time and the opportunity to go to a school and that school is open, I can tell you the world is your oyster. And now I'm going to give you the real talk. What you really need to be thinking of is, does it make any effing sense for you to go to that school? I get it. It's cool. Right. And the question that we got the other day was, as a special warfare officer, can I go to sniper school? Let's think about that for one second. Trent, what's a special warfare officer do on the team? They manage and lead. They manage and lead. How well do you think that that special warfare officer could manage and lead the team, the entire tactical problem set, responsible for success or failure of the mission? How well do you think that they could lead looking through a loophole 50 times power scope down a long rifle from 500 to 1,000 meters away? So I'm, I'm, I'm split on this one, right? <laughs> okay. So obviously, for especially like my young special uh, special tactics officers and crows that are at the two series units uh, with the new 19 Zulu thing, now that we do technically fall underneath uh, 19 Zulu as, as SR guys, mm-hmm. do I want them to have uh, that background, right? Just like you want your crows sure. to have medical background, you want your stows uh, to have um, uh, some ATC background. Sure. Do I want them to have that background? Yes, I do. Now, if you are a uh, captain in charge of a team and you're pre-deployment, and you decide to cut out to go to, to go a sniper, to sniper school, school, right? Right. The, it's all about timing and what else you already have in your toolbox, um, and and then how you prioritize that, right? So, and I will say, of course, I want them to have that experience, right? And the, yeah. the conversation I had in the DMs again, it was surprisingly productive because usually I <laughs> sometimes I don't have the most productive conversations. Trent and I were talking uh, earlier on this podcast, I, I mentioned a conversation I was having with somebody who goes, man, you just go to 11 right away. 
And I just laugh. I was like, I want to get to the end of this conversation. I don't, yeah. I don't want to guide somebody there sometimes. Sometimes it's just good to get the answer out in the open. Um, I totally agree that you need to have, especially I'll, I'll equate it to crows going, you know, I've, I've had crows tell me, Hey, I need to go to EMT basic in order for me to better understand what you do. No, you do not. No, you absolutely do not. You do not need to have an intimate understanding of medicine and terminology and the actual practical application of medical treatment in order for you to understand what your medics are doing on the ground. Do I think you need to be sensitized to it? Sure. Cause here's a great example. If I look at an officer and he goes, you need to be out of here in 10 minutes. And I look at him and I go, I have to do a thoracostomy on this guy or he's going to die. And the, the crow has no idea what that means. He's like, Oh, okay, cool. 10 minutes. That does not take 10 minutes. Right. That's a, that's a very practical application and common sense place where during training, I can bring a crow in and I can go, all right, here's what a thoracostomy is. I have to access this dude's chest to get fluid or air out of there. And he's going to die if I don't do it. It's going to take me a while. I have to be as sterile as possible. Then we got to package him up and I'm going to have to sedate him. There's going to be all these things, right? Does the officer need to know that? Yes. Do I need to send a stow to a six to eight week sniper course to have them qualified on a gun that they're probably not going to carry using a and having a certification they're probably never going to use probably not you know what would be more worth my time to put them on a long gun at an advanced shooting school like rifles only which runs a great advanced shooting program and let them be sensitized to what that is so that they can actually use that specific skill the best that they can as a special tactics officer i think that's right. probably what i would say yeah yeah, I think you can get most of it through the train up. I'm just, you know, yeah. if you have a, a, a 19 Zulu on casual status at some point and they exactly. want to go to these schools, like, man, get it all in when you can. But like once you're on team. Right. And that's man, that you, time and opportunity that I kind of started with. Like nobody's going to tell you no. We've yeah. got guys going to the four wins. We have these young stows and it's it's awesome to see, you know, we got a batch of three levels. I haven't been around true three levels in a long time. I got a couple that I deployed with, uh, but those guys didn't count. One of them was a cross trainee. He was a prior Navy diver. The other guy was just a talent. He was one of those guys that I was like, man, you, you could be an element leader right now. We just got to kill some time. But watching these true three levels and these true fresh out of the pipeline stows, um, we brought uh, LT Ziegler on. He's going to come on and, and talk about his time in the pipeline. It was an awesome podcast that we did down when we were in San Antonio, but watching them go through these schools, we got guys going to dive supervisor. We've got stows going through advanced, uh, urban combat courses. We got them going through a whole lot, you know, advanced survival schools. It's awesome. It's really, really good because the time and the opportunity is there and they're hungry to go get it. Just understand that might not be exactly what the team needs. So your cool school to button this all up, your cool school may be really awesome. You may have time in your schedule. It just might not be what the team needs. I think we're moving on to maybe my favorite question, except yes. I'm kind of sad that Peaches isn't here for this. Oh, okay. Uh, apparently, we work at the Pentagon and make all kinds of decisions just on the Ones Ready podcast. All kinds of decisions. All right. Yeah. Let's talk about it. I think uh, the chief of staff calls us for advice. Uh, what are the controllers going to do now that GWAT is over and there are no more needs for JTACs? Oh, my God. Aaron, this go question. Ahead. Yeah, uh, this you're, question. you're still at a, a two series unit. Tell me. It's killing me, man. It's And it's funny too, because I'll hear guys kind of, they don't moan and complain because I, I, I never say our guys do that. Let's say that they, they voice their concerns in a less than constructive manner sometimes. Right. And, and I go at them because I am who I am. Again, I think we've got this, covered this. 
I go at them right away. They're like, oh, no, G-Watts over this thing is going to be uh, no, it's no more JTAC. Listen, guys, combat control getting into that JTAC game in the way that they did was part luck, part being in the right space at the right time, and part having a capability that was specific to an event. That's what happened. In the early 2000s, combat control getting into that JTAC game and then doing as well as they did in GWAT, listen, it was awesome. Produced yeah. some of the most highly decorated people in the military, period. It really did. They really crushed it. However, that's not their primary mission set. The primary mission set is austere airfield seizure. That's what we are there to do. JTAC has an awesome certification slash qualification that we get on the back end of it. And you're able to do some amazing things as a JTAC. And we need JTACs, right? The JTAC qualification is going nowhere. How much we use that JTAC qualification, though, is probably going to go somewhere. Because as we go away from this kinetic warfare, this isn't GWAT. We're not dropping bomb after bomb. I, I had a controller that I worked with. I think he's out now. Uh, MQ. He was a legend in England when I got there because he Winchestered four separate AC-130s in one firefight. And Winchester means he used all of their ammunition. So a two ship of AC-130s got overhead. He shot every single round on both of those birds. Then they yo-yoed and got a full up new ammunition load came back to where he was. He was still in a firefight and he used another two planes worth of ammunition, right? That was in one event. That's ridiculous. I don't think that's happened in, I don't know, months, maybe, maybe a year now. I don't, I don't think that much ammunition. And he used that in, in one time, right? But that was in 2007 in Afghanistan. So, yeah. you know, we, we're all gonna, we are all gonna look extremely differently. Like if you just look at Go back to inside combat rescue for pararescuemen. Everybody in the world after that Nat Geo special thought all we did was fly on helicopters and pick people up because dust off didn't, couldn't do it because they didn't have guns on their helicopters or something. That was the smallest part of our career field. And we stopped doing it. I was in Afghanistan where we no longer took Kazovac. I was on the last rotation that did it. We, I think I flew four Kazovac missions when I was at Bagram because no kidding, like, um, dust off couldn't fly. Like it was too, the weather wasn't good. We had better weather radar than they did, or they had a maintenance issue. We covered for them four times in a, in a five month deployment. And that was the last time that I did Kazakh. That was 2014. Right. Wow. Can we do it? Absolutely. Are we going to continue doing it in the future? Probably not. That's not really where air rescue is meant to be. If you look at, at what just happened in Africa from the exact place that I was, there's a sick mariner from the UK off the coast, more than 150 miles out there. And the rescue unit got on board a CV-22 and was able to hoist down and then transload that guy. That is a complex mission set and a complex problem that only the PJs there could have figured out. And oh, by the way, they're around every single other special operations team on that continent to include tier one units. And they got the call to go do that because they were most specifically task organized to do that. I think we're going to see a shift when we're talking about well, what are the JTACs going to do now that GWAT's over? What are the PJs going to do on global access teams? What is SR going to do at all? We're all going to have to change and get back. Just like we talked about the Green Berets earlier and unconventional warfare and irregular warfare being their primary mission set. I think we're all going to go back to the, kind of that primary mission set. You know, on the ST side, we're, we're really going to look at agile combat employment, uh, global access, personnel recovery you know, uh, special operations surgery really is our, our core skills and those core metals. 
Yeah, but if I don't read about it in the news, did it really happen? Oh, it just sounds like you guys aren't doing anything. There's it no just, reason. Why do we even have, you know, ST units anymore if uh, we ended all combat operations? Should we just shut them down until another GWAT kicks off? That's my favorite Because thing. that's what I'm familiar with. You know, I, I think my favorite, yesterday we had an award ceremony and I read, so we had a bunch of Air Force commendation medals that got put out for the guys, uh, deservedly so, for their for their deployments. And, you know, reading some of the things that we did, not a single bomb dropped, not a single round fired in anger, right? Uh, some of my guys out West responded to a mass casualty and did amazing work. They were such good. They were such good medics. I know I'm not supposed to call PJ medics. They were so, such good medics on their first deployment, by the way, that not only did they save 10 lives, but six of those guys, they prevented their limbs from being amputated. That's a, that's a difference in how good we are. Anybody, anybody's good at trauma medicine. Anybody can do TT, triple C, but through their medical skill, by the way that they handled that patient through the entire time, the way that they handled the case on their own, by the way, they were able to prevent their limbs from being amputated. That's a big deal. That's where we're going. And just because people don't hear about it, it doesn't mean it isn't happening. It doesn't mean we're not focusing on it. It just means you didn't hear about it. That's why you want to get in soft because you want to do things behind the curtain that are no kidding, helping out uh, in a larger national mission sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, mission accomplished. Some, mission. Yeah, we did it. Um, let's see. This is, this is my favorite one here. It's just because like, I, I think people need to understand, again, I almost want people to talk into their phone. I want them to pick their phone up and go like this. Here's my question. And then I want them to play it back for themselves. So here's how this would work. Let's have some pretend time. Record. Um, can you do me a favor, one's ready, and call some of your friends that live near me and ask them if they'll take time out of their busy schedule and deployment prep and their time as a special operator to talk to me specifically about questions that have already been answered and maybe work out with me because I want to know what it's like to work out at PJ Gym. Thanks. End. Jokes on you. I don't have any friends. Yeah, number one, jokes on you. I don't have that credibility with my friends, but we have people ask this all the time, and it's hard for me not to be. I don't know if there's a better way to say it, but a a prick about it. Like, just think about what you're asking. So, you want me to call? Let's say that you live in San Antonio, and let's say you call me, and you're like, "Hey, you know, it'd be awesome is if I could just show up to the schoolhouse." And have uh, you know one of the PJs like walk me through a day, and you know maybe maybe smoke me a little bit, maybe have a, a whatever. And that's by the way, that's a one hundred percent real thing. Like that was almost word for word of a question that I asked, or got asked. And I just I had to stop and I'd be like, listen, you understand that these are people with their own lives that you're asking just out of nowhere. They don't know you from anything. You're not you haven't you haven't even dropped your paperwork. You haven't even taken a pass test. You haven't even talked to a recruiter. You just want to see what it's like. So you want me to ask them to take time out of their day? And this is on my name. I have to call them and vouch for you and say, hey, this is important. Can you do this for me? And then depend on you to go do this thing. Can you go meet with this stranger to do something? And probably... Because they sent me a DM on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Don't go home to your, to your, your family this <laughs> afternoon. Uh, I know you're only, you're only working like 12 to 18 hour shifts or whatever right now. Go ahead, go ahead and go meet this person and then smoke them so that they can have that experience. 
Sure, Aaron. Uh, so they can make sure, a decision. Aaron, I'd love to do that. Is it because you think that they're the best candidate ever? Oh, no. I've never met them before. They them. just yeah. asked me to hook you guys up. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome, buddy. Right. I feel like if you just thought about it for a second, we would never have to answer that question again. Because you would just be like, wow, that's actually a huge ask for somebody like me that's done literally nothing for this person or anybody. Maybe I should, maybe I should really think about what I'm asking. Anyway, you ready yeah, to hit well, some? You ready to hit some hot button issues? I'm yeah, I mean, it. I was just gonna say, I, I run into that with people like Trent. Why are you avoiding coming to work out with me in San Antonio? It's like, a San Antonio is a large city, and right. B, like I got a family and kids and my own job, and then spoiler alert, I have friends that are not in the military that I like to go hang out with and do things and right. weekend activities. Like, why are you avoiding me? Like, because I I don't know you, honestly. Yeah, I, I don't really care. <laughs> that's that's the trend that I know. <laughs> I don't really care. All right, so we're gonna hit some hot button issues. You guys ask us these all the time, and it they're valid questions, guys and gals. I, we we get it. Okay, so we're gonna put them out there. We're gonna get them on wax. This is yes. just my opinion. Again, we are doing this in our off time. We're not beholden to anybody. I don't represent the views of the DOD, the team I work with, or my professional educational military career in any sense, form, or fashion. I'm not meant to offend anybody. We're gonna answer these questions though, because hopefully we can stop asking them. Trent, what do you feel about women in combat? Do you think that there's a place for women on the teams? I don't. First of all, I don't approach anything with feelings. That's stupid. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care at all. And it's not that I don't care. Like I'm saying that there's not a place for women on the teams or I think they're going to be successful. It's that I really don't care. I am completely agnostic. Here's the deal. The combat exclusion after what the women in service review was deleted. Women, they're, they're open to every single job. I quote this from, uh, I had a Navy seal to, I think he was a one star at the time. I can't remember his name. Uh, came to talk to us when I was in, it was 2015. It was right after the combat exclusion got, uh, essentially rescinded and that all special operations jobs were open to anybody that wanted to apply. He sat in front of a whole bunch of seals. And at that time there was a lot of feelings and people were like, Oh, this is done. They were bringing up the the dumb arguments for why women, you know, Oh, well, what about bears? Uh, now we have to worry about bears. Uh, get out of here, guys. The dumbest, like the dumbest arguments got brought up for this, right? And the the SEAL general that was in charge of all the West Coast essentially was like, all right, cool. He let everybody grope, you know, gripe and moan. And there was no groping. Um, gripe and moan and <laughs> all of the, you know, get it out of their system. And then finally, he looked at everybody and he was like, hey, guys, I'm going to say the same thing because he was a Pacific Asian American, I think is the correct term of Pacific Islander, uh, Asian American. And he said straight up, uh, I don't care if you're black, bisexual, transsexual, or a woman. If you can meet our standard, you're on the team. And if you guys can't allow somebody to be on your team, he looked straight at you know one of the uh, African-Americans in the room. He's like, have you ever been discriminated on this team because you're black? And the guy immediately was like, well, absolutely not. So he's like, exactly. Then what is the difference with women? You can feel however you want to feel about it. And if there's data that suggests that they're not right for the job, that's going to find, they're going to work themselves out. And, you know, it'll it'll work themselves out in the process. But we do that through assessment selection. You don't do that from a team room where you decide who gets a chance to try. We give equal opportunity that does not equal equal outcome. 
We give equal opportunity, not equal outcome. Everybody gets a chance to try. Everybody gets a chance to put their name on the line, to put their credibility on the table, and to go try this thing. And if you make it, you get in. I don't care who you are. I'm so sick of hearing this. Women in combat, I don't think they should be here for this reason. I don't care what you think. Grow up. Get on board. Like You want to have that conversation? Can I borrow your time machine to go back 10 years where this actually mattered? Because I just don't care anymore. Yeah, it's the standard. We care about the standard. And we really don't have, like like you said, I'm, I'm more of a data-driven person. Yep. And, and could I project out potential problems? Yes. Sure. But to say that dudes don't have problems on team is also Get stupid. Out here. Get so out of here. Yeah, right. I don't have any data to back up any uh, viewpoint that I may or may not have. So it's not yeah. a real, it's not a real viewpoint. Yeah. So you don't get to talk about it. I mean, maybe we have like, there are some fun ethical conversations to have, you know, inside of, inside of the, the women in combat thing. And usually it revolves around, you know, most likely, uh, you know, most often what happens when we have an operator that is a female that wants to start a family and she wants to, to have children, she's going to be out for an extended period of time, right? That affects readiness. It affects how many people we already have in critically manned career fields. It affects what job she can do. And you know, if she's deployable and all these other questions. So from a logistical standpoint, those are things that we need to look at. It's not prohibitive in any nature at all. So, and, and really, unless you're having some more of those high level conversations, I just don't even entertain it. So women in combat, guess what? I'm for it. Just like I'm for everybody else in combat because I don't care. There's no exclusion. Congratulations. You want to volunteer and you want to go get it on? Meet the standard. Yeah. We need to keep the gingers out though. Yeah. Well, they listen, I, I didn't. I didn't think that we were going to talk about this issue, but yes, we should keep the gingers out. There's only a couple gingers that I know. Shout out Cole Pepper, uh, one of the best shooters I've ever known, but he's still a ginger, so he's got to go. Like he's just out. You got no soul. You can't be trusted. It's a uh, it's science. Yeah. If I if my haircut being too long directly affects how I work on target, like if my hair is too long and you can't trust me to get a haircut, and then that makes me a worse operator on target, which we've heard I don't know how many times then you can't possibly be a good operator and have no soul and be a ginger. So that's, yeah, I'm going to call that one. Should gingers be allowed in the military? And I'm going to make that its own chapter marker. No big deal. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about COVID. Let's talk about the vaccine mandate. The, the big question is, Hey, I am 100% opposed to the vaccine mandate. I don't want to, I don't want to get a vaccine. I don't want to do this to get in. Uh, how are you guys feeling about it? Here's how I feel about it. I am anti-mandate with everything. Okay. That's just me as a as Aaron Love speaking completely on my own and representing nobody else. I don't want you to mandate anything for me. That's literally for everything because I'm an American and I have the Constitution of the United States of America. That's not just that's any mandate for anything, right? I always give pushback to any mandate until I feel that the authority is there. It's the only thing I'm gonna say about anything. Here is the point. We all have to make decisions and we all have to rank our decisions for what's right in our life and what we want to do. If your feelings about a shot are so great that you don't want to save lives and aid the injured, putting aside your own personal desires and comforts so that others may live and be a pararescuement, then that is your decision. And that's all I'll say. You have to make that decision for yourself. The situation is what the situation is. There's a mandate. You got to get it to stay in. You got to get it to come in and you got to get it to be a part of this career field. You have to make your own decision. 
I won't even engage on what that decision looks like for you because it's none of my business. Just like my decision is none of your business. I think that's as clean as I can make it, at least for me. How do you feel about it? I had to get a flu shot yesterday and I was pretty unhappy about it. Right. I hate the flu shot. I hate getting the flu shot every single year. Is it how many people are dying from the flu? What kind of readiness are we protecting from errat- Didn't the flu disappear? Didn't we go from like 34 million cases of the flu to like 1800 in a given year? That's a pretty, this is the second time that we're broaching conspiracy theory. This is pretty good. Um, definitely going to get demonetized for this, but Hey, I'll, I'll tell you, you, you have to make a choice for it, right? You have to, you have to choose what is right for you and your life. And I support that choice, whatever it is, but I'll, I'll tell you, and, and this is a simple philosophical truism. Two things can be true at the same time. I can be vehemently anti, anti-mandate for everything. And I can still accept things that are mandated to me because I view it to be necessary to do something greater. I view this mandate as something that has to be accepted, one, because it's in valid rule of law right now in the military. And number two, it is part of me being a pararescue. It's the only thing I can say. Are yeah. we good? Do we have to talk about it anymore, Trent? Do you think we covered it on that one? I'm not here to make choices for other people. So I don't know. Like, how do you feel about it? My feelings are irrelevant to how, how we get the choices that you should be making for yourself. If you're waiting on me to make a decision for you, you are in a very bad place in your very life. Bad place. And I like, won't do it. And I won't do um, it. And this, this kind of bridges into another one that we get all the time. People will ask us very specific questions about waivers or, or medical problems. We've never answered one of those. Not one time. No. Uh, if you have a bilateral fracture to your tibia from 10 years ago, I don't even or tibias, then yeah, you can absolutely join. I, I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, it's Obviously, just such a, right? Right. It's such a weird thing. It's like, you know, I, I failed this depth perception slash, you know, whatever, you know, how do I submit a waiver? Like, I don't know, my dude. Number one, I'm not here to give you medical advice ever. And then number two, I don't know those things. You're going to have to work with your docs, through maps, your recruiter, all these things. You know, I don't, I had surgery. You know, my favorite one is I had surgery eight years ago on my shoulder. I don't have any hardware, but I'm thinking about not telling my recruiter because I don't want to get disqualified at MEPS. I can tell you the number one way to get disqualified, not tell anybody about it and have them find out on their own. And then you'll be kicked out. I'm all about it. They should definitely do that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do that. I'm obviously kidding. I don't know why I'm the voice of reason right now, but don't do that. These questions got me a little grumpy. You know what I mean? That's the point. We're going to get it off our chest. We're going to put it on the YouTube. We're going to give everybody the chance to find this. And now we can look at it. We can go episode, you know, whatever this is, just go. Your question is here. Check it out. So um, kind of further down that line. And I like this one a lot. Hey, I'm, I'm 16 years old and I've wanted to be a PJ my entire life. And I'm ready to start training, you know, at 16 years old to go do this thing. What do I need to do? First of all, go be in high school. That's it. That's what you should do. You should, you should go to high school. You should get good grades. You should get it, get yourself into some good trouble, not like trouble with the law, but get yourself in some good trouble. Don't stand up for the man. Right. Exactly. Okay. Don't stand up for the man. Uh, get yourself in some good trouble. Get some life experience under your belt and then see where you are when it's time. These career fields, these things, we're going nowhere. We're going to be here in two years. 
if you're spending and, and hopefully you have a long career, hopefully you have 20 years plus, right? But you should live a full life where you are now. Be present in your area now, as opposed to looking at something, you know, five years. I, I think we got a message from a 14 year old one time that was like, Hey, I want to start preparing for this now. What do I need to do? And I was like, Holy cow, guy, uh, you need to, you need to figure out what you're going to do as a freshman. You need to figure out when you're getting your driver's permit. You need to figure out, you know, how to interact with girls in a manner that's consistent and, and like, so that you're being a good dude. Like there are so many other, you, you just need to be a person first, like figure out who you are. Your brain is not fully formed until you're 25. So it always blows my mind when I hear people ask me, Hey, I want to, I want to make this choice for the rest of my life. Now, if you knew how much I changed between 18, 25, 35, and now, you know, over 40, you're oh over God. 40. Uh, shut up. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> if if, if I, just looking back at like how much I changed, holy crap, man. I could I can't be making decisions for future me at that point. Like the decisions that I wanted to make for myself at 18, I look back at now and I'm like, thank God that I had mentors and people to tell me I was stupid and it's some time to really figure that out. I would say like the only thing is you need to worry about is stay out of jail and, and keep a clean record, right? If you want to come in and have a top secret clearance or whatever, you know, you know, don't, when, when people offer you heroin at the party, say no, you know, I guess right. it's a pretty just good say idea. No. Just basic <clears throat> life advice. That worked out so well too. Yeah. That campaign just really. Say no thing. Yeah. Um, we saw okay. a precipitous drop in drug use. <laughs> Trent, I'm 35 years old. Is it too old to get in? Yes. And do this. Oh my God. You know what? Just yes. Wait, but it, no, but yes, but, but no. So guys and gals, the age limit's 39. I'm going to say that again. The age limit is 39. Yeah, but I'm 35. Okay. So. But, but I want you to listen, Trent is 30 is 35 less than or more than 39. I'll tell you as a 39-year-old sitting here, I don't think that it's impossible for someone to make it through the pipeline at 39. I don't think it is either. Would it suck? Yeah. Are you too old? I don't know. That's a question on you. When we get I always love it when it's like, you know, hey, I'm 27 years old and I'm not in the best shape. Is that enough time? Are you joking? I went through the pipeline at 25, 26. I had two toddlers. Um, you know, I was I was you know, granted, not, not really that old, you know, 25 is not really that old. 27 is not that old, you know, looking, looking at it now, I, I was having a joke with one of my PJ friends. I don't feel 40 inside of my head. I honestly feel 25, 30 and in the best shape of my life. Um, you know, I've, the best shape of my life that I've gotten into has been later in life. You know, I'm better at jujitsu. Now I'm in better shape. Now I'm, you know, doing those things. Then of course, in the pipeline, you're going to be in the best shape of your life. Cause all you're doing is working out. All you're doing is doing high stress stuff all the time, right? It's it's different shape for different people though at different times. You know what I mean? Like if I got yeah. in a fight with 25 year old me that oh. could run six minute miles or whatever, right? I mean, I'd whoop that dude. Right. Absolutely. Well, and I, I was just I was laughing. I, I little tangent. I rolled with a, a dude the other night that is a probably a, a D2 level wrestler. So he's a D2 uh level, he's like 23, 24. He just absolutely destroyed me. He's just way better at wrestling. But he was laughing because he he got done, uh, you know. We got done, and he was just like, "Oh, that's cool, man." He was like, "You're uh, you're, you're pretty cool for." He he said something in fact like, "You're pretty cool for one of the older dudes here." I was like, "Yeah," you know. I was like, "Uh, you know, maybe ten years ago I'd have something for you, but yeah, 30, 40 year old Aaron doesn't." He goes, "Holy crap, you're 40. I thought you were in your twenties." 
And I was like, well, you're adorable. Uh, you're also bad at judging age, but, and he was just like, no, uh, he was like, so yeah, nice when they do, it is, it was nice of him. And so really the only reason I did that is to put that out on the podcast to make everybody know uh, how cool I am. Uh, moisturize and, and drink your water folks. You can look like me when you're old, but that's, that's the point. When people ask me, how old are you? I'm out here grinding with 23 year old division two wrestlers, four nights a week. You you can do whatever you want. It's just what's important to you. And Oh, by the way, it doesn't matter if you're tall or short, or if you start off fat, or if you start off completely out of shape, or if you got some weird injury, David Goggins failed as a PJ got to be attack P and got to be eventually in the seals. And now he's who David Goggins is. That dude started off like 300 pounds. That dude started off like 275 pounds. Yeah, so, and it's still annoying. Yeah, yes. But the the point is like <laughs> Jocko go throw a battery into the ocean and get this thing started. But yeah. the point is, is nobody, it doesn't matter. I always answer the question the same way. Am I too tall, short, fat, old? Have you ever seen anybody like me make it? Who cares? Who cares if I've seen that? That doesn't matter at all. I don't care if you're five foot four. I don't care if you're a female. I don't care if you're 35 and you start this process. Who cares if I've ever seen that succeed? You could be the one that succeeds. The question is about, hey, are you going to do it? Are you too old? I don't know. Yeah, I think I think what we're saying here is you know, we started this podcast to get the relevant information out there uh, for these career fields, right? Because there was a lack of that in the, uh, you know, the, the interwebs, at least accurate and relevant information. Yeah. But the, I think there's a character trait that um, is, is fairly per- pervasive in the community. And that's just not caring about what most people think. Yeah. So I, I care about what Aaron thinks. I care about what guys inside the community think about me, right? Like I care about my reputation, you know, like there's, there's definitely little things that I just don't care about, but right. man, like if you're caring about all these other things or, or things that you don't even know that people think about, like if you don't have that like inner confidence and drive and desire, like what's more important than that? Nothing, right. nothing is more important than that. So just get out there and do it. We need people that can do impossible things. And I'll, I, we're going to close it up here. Cause that, that was all the questions we wanted to get after, but I'll tell you from running one of the enlisted pararescue assessment selections that we used to do for cross trainees, there were, there were times where I would sit the, the candidates down and I would say, listen, we need people that do not care what's possible. And here's why. If I tell you as part of a special tactics team that you have to cross an open courtyard where somebody's going to be throwing hand grenades at you to the point where you can see them throwing these World War II hand grenades at you and you and your battle buddy that you're next to, you're taking turns who's trying to cover the other person with their body so they don't get killed. That's the situation that we're going to put you in and we're going to ask you to win in that situation. That's a real story. That's Chief Master Sergeant Ivan Ruiz's Silver Star story. People throwing hand grenades like bangers, like old school uh, potato masher sort of hand grenades across the courtyard while they engage with small arms from less than 15 meters away. They did that for like an hour to close across this courtyard. He saved like little kids, this whole thing. If you look at that, if I told you like, hey, what would you do in this scenario? That you'd probably be like, well, that's impossible. Guess who didn't care that it was impossible in the moment? Chief yeah. Master Sergeant Ivan Ruiz. We need those people that don't care if they think they're too old. Like, why are you asking? I, I can tell you, you're already starting off uh, at square negative one. Hey, Aaron, am I too old to do this? <clears throat> I can tell you by you answering or you even asking the question, you're already starting off at a bad spot. 
I don't care. How about, how about this? How about I know I might be too old, but I don't care. I'm going to succeed. That's probably a better way to do it. The age limit's 39. We don't care if you're a woman. Come on the team. We don't care if you are too old or too blonde or you don't have the perfect attributes. We want to train you. We don't care if you come in and you're not ready to graduate on day one. That's not the point. We want you to fix your own problems. That's the whole point of this podcast. We want to get you the information that you need to fix your own problems and to really be a productive member of this ST community because we really care. And that's the whole reason why we started the podcast. So for all of these questions, do your own research here. We gave you, we spoon fed you this one time, the two grumpiest dudes on the podcast, Trent and Aaron, we walked you through every single question that you could possibly have from how do I find a recruiter all the way through what's the day-to-day like all the way through what can I do for cool schools? We got it. So we're never going to have to answer these questions again. Trent, what's the over under on us answering these questions? Yeah, these questions are not going to stop. They're never, never going to stop. But you know what? Never. We're here. We tried. For it. We're good yeah. triers. We are good triers. And, and we're here for it because guess what? We're never going to stop either because that's the point. So we want to say thanks, you guys. This is a, this is a long one with, uh, with Trent and I. It's sort of the Aaron and Trent show, but we're going to put it out like a normal podcast because it's important. It's important for you guys to get this information. Go to the YouTube, check out the chapter markers. You're going to be able to go through every single question that we put out there, and I will, I will make sure that it gets out there. Trent, you got anything for everybody else? No. As always, appreciate it. And uh, go contact your recruiter and download DuckDuckGo so the, you know, you're not trackable. <laughs> so you're not trackable. So you can protect that online identity. Yeah. As always, we thank you guys for hanging out. We'll see you next time that we drop here. Remember, we drop on Saturdays. Hit up any player that you can get your podcast at. Subscribe, like, hit the notification button. Just finesse the bell a little bit. Just finesse it so you don't miss anything mm-hmm. that we post. And we yeah. often post the stuff early on the YouTube. So keep your eyes out. As always, thanks. We appreciate you. Earn each breath. Train hard. Have a good one. Later. See you next.